Um, We're going to read from God's Word now. Um, So if you open up your Bibles, our first reading is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 32. And that can be found on page 614 of your Bibles. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and pour out a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourself for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know this, that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. And the second reading tonight is from Galatians, Uh, it's chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, and you can find that on page 826 of your Bible. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I have a Bible nearby, but uh, even closer, I have a pad, have a pencil or a pen, so you can jot down uh, the different places in the Bible that uh, I'm going to be referring to, but not giving you time to actually look up, uh, and you can check them out later on. It'd be great to have that uh, next to you. I'm not sure what you expect uh, when you come to church and as we spend time looking over God's Word. Uh, I'm not sure whether you anticipate uh, hearing good things and whether you expect refreshment. I'm not sure what you're coming for and hoping God will have to say to you. I want to give you a moment before I pray uh, just to bring to the Lord God your requests uh, and just in the quietness of your heart, bring before him what you need to hear tonight and ask him to speak to you clearly. Lord and Father, we come to you tonight as people uh, at different stages with different, uh, different struggles and different joys. We ask that you would speak to each one of us individually as we need to hear from you. Father, we pray that you would refresh us by your word, change us that we'd be marked by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Comfort us with the love that you have for us as our Heavenly Father. And help us to delight and live out the fellowship that the Spirit creates. Speak to us now by your word, we pray. Amen. Is that cool for me, Dennis, or you? Just, just check. Yeah. It's for Dennis, it's not for me. Clearly God answered his prayer. Oh, is it? Terrific. Rather than wrestling with issues of mobile phones, uh, we're going to wrestle with something slightly deeper this evening. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Um, welcome back, Dennis. Probably worth checking that one's off. And great reminder for all of us, I, I leave my mobile, at phone, uh, my mobile at home on nights like this. Maybe it's worth flicking it off if yours is on. Uh, but I want to ask you a question. How would you know... That God's spirit was in you? Uh, it's a pressing question, one you need to know about, but, but not always easy to speak about, uh, given you, you can't see him, and it, it's not as if you can walk down the street and you spot some people and go, nice holy glow, they've clearly got the spirit. You looking a little dull, doubt it. Uh, it's not as easy as that. Uh, and so questions about you know, the spirit of God in your life, for many people, can, can actually become difficult to answer. 
I want to say we need to be able to answer it. Not least because of what Jesus says in John 3. Uh, He picks up the language of uh, Ezekiel in our reading from there and says that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. You need to know if God's Spirit is in you. You need to be able to answer that. Uh, Wolfhart Pannenberg, um, it's such a great name, isn't it? Uh, I have a child coming later this week. If it's a son, I still don't think it would be Wolfhart, but gee... Great name. Uh, He's a German theologian and uh, he shared his experience of God's spirit in his life. Uh, This is how he recounts it. My single most important experience occurred in early January 1945 when I was 16 years old. Uh, On a lonely two-hour walk home from my piano lesson, seeing an otherwise ordinary sunset, I was suddenly flooded by light and absorbed in a sea of light which, although it didn't extinguish the humble awareness of my finite existence, overflowed the barriers that normally separate us from the surrounding world. I didn't know at the time that January 6th was the day of epiphany, nor did I realise that in that moment Jesus Christ had claimed my life as a witness to the transfiguration of this world in the illuminating power and judgment of his glory. But there began a period of craving to understand the meaning of life. And since philosophy didn't seem to offer the ultimate answers to such a quest... I finally decided to probe the Christian tradition more seriously than I had considered worthwhile before. Um, Yeah, it's kind of flowery uh, theologian language, but what an incredible work. Uh, Bathed in light and and in some sense connected uh, with what was greater than him and an awakening in him and awareness and a desire to know God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if, like me, you haven't had an experience like that? How do you recognise the spirit with certainty? Uh, The Christian communities of the the 17th century in New England, the the US colonies there, uh, they wrestled with this issue. So they had a Puritan heritage which placed a really, really high price on uh, conversion experience and conversion stories uh, as a testimony that you actually had the spirit. But then as a few generations went on uh, and and children and then grandchildren grew up in church uh, who didn't have any conversion experience, they, they were stumped as to how to view these, these people. Uh, one solution they came up with was called the, uh, the Halfway Covenant. Uh, it was done in Boston, uh, that when these children grew up and they confessed the faith, um, they were allowed to be church members, but uh, they weren't allowed to be voting members and they weren't allowed to share at the Lord's table. They weren't allowed to have communion. The, the effect of this kind of Halfway Covenant uh, was a kind of half-pregnant view of the Spirit's work. Um, and in case you kind of don't get the idea, you can't be half-pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Uh, but that's, that's the way it left these people. You know, that it was unclear. Did, they were half-Christians. Did, did they have the Spirit or didn't they? Were they in the kingdom or not? And, and perhaps that's you tonight. Perhaps you're coming a little unsure of being able to speak about the Spirit's work in your life, a little unsure of whether the kingdom uh, is indeed, uh, you're indeed a member of it. How do you know if the Spirit is at work in you? Well, to answer it properly, uh, we need to step behind our personal experiences and we need to see who the Spirit is and we need to understand the nature of his work. Uh, It's our fourth and final week of looking at, uh, at God himself, the Trinity, 
if you've just joined us tonight, you know, feel free to track down uh, the last three weeks of, of talks if you're itchingly keen. But let me recap quickly. Um, we've been looking at the perfect relationship of other person-centred action, where, where the Godhead, the three persons, are united so tightly because of the way that they love and serve each other. Yes, they've got distinctive roles, but that doesn't separate them. It actually draws them closer together. Uh, God the Father, um, a few weeks ago I said, was the, the benevolent authority of the Trinity. Uh, by that, he's the loving leader who does what's best for the Spirit and the Son. Last week we looked at the Son, the, the agent of change, uh, whose, whose actions radically changed who God is and his experiences as he entered into the world and, and experienced hardship and, and putting his relationship to the test and suffering. So who's, who's the Holy Spirit on, on God's inside? What's he do in there? Well, he is the self-effacing power of God. I'm not known for catchy titles, am I? Uh, he is the self-effacing power of God. We obviously need to unpack that a little. Um, the Spirit is entirely self-effacing. That is, he always, he always points to the Son and to the Father for their glory, and he never seeks or, or has it sought for himself. So the, the way the Bible speaks uh, about the Spirit just suggests and helps us understand his humility and the way he's connected to the Father and the Son. So in the New Testament, um, he's uh, called the Holy Spirit uh, just under a hundred times. And he's known as the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God nearly 50 times. What's interesting to note is the New Testament never speaks of the Father of the Spirit or the Son of the Spirit. They're never connected in that way, but the Spirit is. The, the Spirit doesn't act independently or for himself, and he doesn't seek to have authority over. He places himself dependently under. And his goal is to glorify the others, the Father and the Son, um, by not doing new work, but by reinforcing their work. So John 14, uh, verse 26, Jesus speaking here. Uh, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. A chapter later in John 15, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. What's the Spirit doing? He, he's self-effacingly just reinforcing what the, the Son had already done and what the Son had already said so that the Son might get the glory. Again, another chapter later, Jesus again speaking. Uh, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Uh, and he will tell you what's yet to come. He will bring me glory by taking from what's mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the spirit will take from what's mine and make it known to you. Uh, seeking glory for the Son. That's, that's the pattern of the spirit's work. But the remarkable thing is that it doesn't diminish his power in any way, shape or form. Uh, if you're familiar with the Nicene Creed, we, we say it on very rare occasions here, uh, it affirms uh, that I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who together with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken by the prophets. Yeah. The Holy Spirit has power. He is the Lord and giver of life. As Jesus puts it in John 6, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. See, he, he gives life because he is um, indivisibly linked to the word. In the same way that, that breath is tied to speech. Um, so the, the Hebrew word, uh, ruach, uh, which is breath, is also the same word as wind, which is also the same, same word uh, as, as uh, spirit. In the same way that you, you can't you know, speak without exhaling breath, the word doesn't act without the spirit. And the Holy Spirit, uh, with the word, gives life. He has power to give life, first of all, in creation. So in, in Genesis 1, um, the spirit, God's breath, is hovering over the surface of the deep and not surprising in what flows out of the, the spirit flowing is, is words come out. And, and that creates life. Uh, Creation begins, Psalm 104, verse 30 says, When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. When when we look at the wonder of of not just creation, but but kind of all the the human cultural expressions and achievements and the wonders of creation, we see something of the power of the spirit, his life-giving work. He has power to give life in creation, but he's also got the power to give life in the new creation. Because what he does is he takes the work of the Father and the Son and powerfully applies it to individuals. John Calvin points out a problem. Um, As long as Christ remains outside of me and we're separated from him, all that he suffered and has done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and no value. Put it another way, you know, it's great. Christ 2,000 years ago might have defeated death and now he's enjoying the riches of heaven. But, but if, if I've got no connection with him, if, if I'm not in Christ, then it's useless. Now, if I'm drowning, um, I don't need to know about Lifesaver's works and what a Lifesaver could possibly achieve. You know, I need a Lifesaver at the beach where I'm caught in a rip. <laughs> I need it to connect with me. And the Spirit has the power to give new life by uniting believers to Jesus and all he has achieved. And so Jesus prays in John 17, I've given them, the believers, people like you and me, the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. It's that sense of unity and being drawn together. It's that new life that Jesus spoke about as being necessary in John 3. It's being born again of the water and spirit. And yet, with all this power that the Spirit has, he manages to remain humble, entirely humble, not seeking glory for himself. Some have uh, described the self-effacing power of the Spirit as like a window. Uh, So uh, a window um, opens up a room to the the beauty and the possibility of creation that's outside. And if you were there and you sat and you stared just at the glass uh, and ignored the view you'd be undermining the purpose of the window and you'd be a bit silly. But the spirit is much more intentional than just a window. He's more like stage lighting at the theatre. So in the darkened room, uh, he works as a spotlight on centre stage to illuminate the Lord Jesus and all of his wonder. So if you went down the road uh, later on and caught a show at the ensemble... Uh, and you spent the whole time ignoring what was happening on the stage to stare at the quality lighting. Uh, and haven't they done a wonderful production here? And, uh, oh, what a super beam. Uh, no, you've entirely missed the purpose of what the lighting is trying to achieve. You've missed its self-effacing power, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, with all his power, what's he want? He doesn't want to be noticed. He wants the son to be noticed. He wants the father to be glorified. And this is just a wonderfully subversive message, isn't it? You know, having power but not wanting attention. I, I've been asked by a, a few times whether I want to be a bishop one day. Um, I don't. Uh, but people ask me, uh, and I don't think it's, it's not a sinister kind of question. It's just assumed that we all are heading to the highest possible position where we're most noticeable. Now, Andy Warhol promised a future where everyone would be famous for 15 minutes and with the wonder of reality TV, that future is our present, isn't it? Uh, where people are just famous for being famous. You know, there's, there's been studies done on the fact that there's been a change. Children used to grow up wanting to you know, be a doctor, be an astronaut. Uh, you know, I don't think they wanted to grow up and be accountants. Um, but they wanted to grow up and, and do something spectacular, which might lead to fame. But now children want to grow up and just be famous. Not for anything in particular, they just want, you know, it's, it's enough just for everyone to notice you. And isn't that our instinct, you know, to, to, to chase power or at least when we get power to make sure everyone notices that we've got power and they pay attention to us because, you know, I've got some power here. Um, I would like you to pay attention to that. Isn't it wonderfully subversive what the Spirit does? Have power but not need the attention to be humble with it. You know, and if you've bought into pride in any form, I want to say especially if you're into the spiritual form of self-righteousness where you've moved away from comparing yourself to God and just kind of compare yourself to other people because you look a lot better, then you need to learn from the Spirit. You know, in the way that Paul was sharing um, earlier on tonight, in the way that he's been humbled in his time over in the States, uh, the way the Spirit's been teaching him, because the Spirit subverts all that. He shows that, that power can go with humility. Humility, don't misunderstand it. Humility is not uh, pretending to be less than you are. You know, that's, that's kind of that stupid false humility which everyone sees through. Um, humility is knowing actually your importance, but treating other people as though their needs trump yours. That's humility. It's putting others, even if they are less important than you, uh, putting their concerns as more important than your priority list. That's humility. You know, I, I have the benefit of getting a seat every week. Uh, there are you know, respected corporates who spend the week uh, in you know, good jobs, in business suits, and they come each Sunday morning uh, to do crèche and teach the gospel to our church's children. Yeah, that's humility. That's the spirit at work. You know, we might honour the Father by, by uh, coming in prayer directly to him to acknowledge his authority. Uh, we might honour the Son by, by talking about him to others, but we honour the self-effacing power of the Spirit by heaping praise on, on Jesus and the Father because that's what he wants. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is present inside you? Well, if you join in his work. If you self-effacingly acknowledge Jesus and his power in your life, uh, then I think you've got clear signs that you've been united to him. This week, I want, to, I want you to look out for three things especially, three signs of experiencing the Holy Spirit, uh, three of the great works that he does. Uh, one is creating fellowship, uh, looking at his works. The second is illuminating Jesus, and the third is sanctifying sinners. Again, correct me for the lack of catchy titles, um, but let me explain them. Um, in creating fellowship, the, the Holy Spirit's work is to, to unite us to the Godhead and to one another and create fellowship. So we're as close to, to God as the Father, Son and Spirit are to each other. Um, as Jesus said regarding the Spirit of truth in John 14, the world can't accept him 
because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. It's a remarkable thing that the Spirit would move into renovators' delights like you and me. You know, people with our inclinations to immorality and impurity and idolatry and anger and jealousy, and you fill in the list, and, and to give us uninhibited fellowship with God. He doesn't send an angel, you know, kind of a, an extra to come and dwell in us. He personally, by his Spirit, dwells in us. There is no barriers because God himself slums it. He makes us children in Romans 8. And if we had perhaps a little less sense of entitlement, we'd be shocked and stunned by that act of love and inclusion. Uh, I love the story of a a young boy, four or five. Uh, He once strode into the White House, uh, there the the centre of world power, and he went past the guards and he went past past each each level of, of doors and security and he went right up to the Oval Office where he strode happily in and he climbed up on the presidential lap. Uh, It's the story of John F. Kennedy Jr. and how he could climb onto his father's lap. And it's just a beautiful picture of us and the unlimited access because of the spirit we can have with God, the fellowship we have in him. And in the same way, the spirit draws uh, not only us into fellowship with God, uh, but with each other. And our fellowship is, is on the same basis as God's own fellowship. God's fellowship, I use a word like fellowship, and we start thinking of airy-fairy kind of mystical concepts that, that's kind of intangible and I can't really touch it. No, no, God's fellowship is, is based on mutual acts of love. Uh, you know, the way the Father serves the Son. That's their fellowship, the way they love each other in, in practice. Uh, fellowship with God and with each other is not a mystical experience. It's the concrete acts of love. Um, this is how Jesus puts it in John 14, uh, 18. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you'll see me because I live in you and you also will, uh, you also will live. On that day, you'll realise I'm the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. How will we realise it? That's a question we need to ask. Jesus goes on and answers it. Um, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. See, it's the active, uh, his active presence in us actually brings us in closer fellowship with each other. It's in obedience to command in, in those actions that we know we have fellowship, not in a, in a mystical experience. And that draws us to have fellowship with each other in the same way, in, in action. You know, across culture, across nation, uh, across class ties, um, beyond geography. Uh, we're not united mystically, but, but in acts of love and care. So next week, we, we, uh, it's Mission Sunday next week, uh, where we'll have an opportunity to catch up on what some of our linked missionaries are, are up to. And we will have fellowship with them, not in some airy-fairy mystical concept, but in the fact that we will be praying for them. Uh, and in the emails and the letters you send, you have fellowship with them in the acts of love you do. And we get the joy of seeing the Spirit at work all the time in that, don't you? Uh, you know, I, uh, you know we're, we're having our baby later this week, and the number of offers that people kind of keep putting in for helping out here and offering a meal there, practical help, you know, that's fellowship. That's, that's actions of love. That's signs that the Spirit is amongst us. And that fellowship is created by, um, second feature, by, by the illumination of Jesus. You know, the, the, the Spirit enabling you to be self-effacing and stop thinking that you're the Lord, but that Jesus is actually the Lord in your life. You know, just like a light being switched on, that's the illumination. 
We're actually enabled to love God with all our hearts and minds and soul. That's the Spirit's work. Now, why is it that um, the people I grew up with in youth group, who all heard the same talks as me, aren't all Christians? It's not that it's an intellectual issue. You know, they, they were smart people, probably, probably most of them smarter than me. But the problem is a moral one and it's a spiritual one. Now, Romans 1 talks about how naturally what do we do? We want to suppress the truth by our deeds of wickedness. Uh, John 3 talks about how we actually prefer to be in darkness rather than light. Why? Because if you come into light, you, you get seen and you get exposed. And what do we rather do? We'd rather hide those things that bring us shame and embarrassment. And so people keep away from the true light who came into the world. And what we need uh, is the Spirit's illuminating word, work to flick the light on that we might see the light of Jesus and the wonder of him and allow ourselves to be exposed in that way. Now Augustine said that you can't know things without a desire for them. Uh, That is you've got to love stuff if you want to find out about it. If you don't love it you won't find anything else about it. We can't hear God's word unless first of all the spirit puts in us a love for him because the word and spirit are never separated. I I can't acknowledge the Lord Jesus without that happening. And that needs to happen to us personally. Uh, The Sydney Morning Herald reported, um, of those Australians who go to church, 21% read their Bible daily, 14% open it a few times a week, and 6% once a week. I'm not going to ask you which one you are, but you're at least in the 6% because you've opened the Bible tonight. Uh, That's your once a week. You can shoot for 14% by doing it tomorrow. And obviously I'm going to be pro, read your Bible more, um, but if it's just about improving stats, that's useless. It's not a mechanical exercise, it's a relational one. We need, to, we need to, before we come to the word, we need to ask for God's spirit to comfort us and challenge us and, and uplift us and transform us. You know, how do you know that you've got the spirit in you? Well, if you can call Jesus your Lord and you want to love him and get to know him, if, he, if the spotlight in your life is on him rather than yourself, you know, there's evidence that the spirit is there at work. Third and final one to to look out for is that ongoing work that the Spirit does of sanctifying sinners. Um, Sanctifying, particularly religious word, uh, it just means being set aside for something special, a special purpose. Uh, In terms of the Spirit's work, he sets us aside for for the purpose of living out the truth that Jesus is the Lord. So so the spirit inside us lets us do the Lord's work, that is, of loving other people particularly, bringing about his work. Um, Occasionally, and and at times, it will be with spectacular endowments. You know, like, um, you know, hopefully you know the story of Samson. Uh, It's in Judges 14, if you want to read it later. He's filled with the spirit and brings this huge building down to deliver God's people. Uh, More often, though, it's the spectacular work of breaking your and my inclination and slavery to sin so that I can actually bear the fruit of another person-centred life. Galatians 5 puts it this way, You, my brothers, are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. And so it goes on to talk later in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nation with its, its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let's not become conceited or provoking and envying each other. Real spirituality, real signs of the spirit at work is putting to death those selfish ways of the flesh. Being free to actually love people and love God the way God designed you. Yeah, that's the time Ezekiel foresaw, a time when people's uncleanness would be washed away and a new heart and a new spirit had been put in people where they would actually want to do what God wants. That's the spirit at work. I mean, there are great stories of people who, who you know, uh, were set aside and, uh, and gripped what it was to be sanctified and to live that reality out for the spirit to work in them. I, there are great stories of missionaries. I love uh, Alexander Mackay, who was a missionary to Uganda, um, and he lived by this principle that if Christianity is work, worth anything, then it is worth everything. You know, he got the point of sanctification. Uh, you know, holiness is, is that offer that uh, when we sing the song, you know, take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And I could tell you his life, and it's spectacular, but I'm not going to tell you of it. Uh, when I was talking about sanctification in our morning congregations a little while ago, uh, I found it was um, perhaps more helpful to talk about someone a little closer to home, someone who hasn't been to Uganda as a great missionary. Uh, Nicole is a, a Christian in our city. Um, and she shared how uh, she'd invited her unbelieving neighbours around for dinner. And after a night where they, they dined well and they talked about mortgages because they live in Sydney, uh, and, and when she got a little bit sheepish because, um, you know, the neighbours asked her daughter what her favourite thing was and her daughter goes, Jesus! And she was kind of thinking, oh, such a Christian. Um, yeah. And it got her thinking, maybe she, you know, was she trying to be like her neighbours to win them over to Jesus or was she just trying to be like her neighbours so she could fit in? You know, it's that question of practical holiness, of being set aside for God's purposes. Um, let, me, let me give you four of her reflections to help you recognise the Spirit's work. One, maybe the main application point of Paul being all things to all people to win some for me is not about trying to look and sound more like my neighbours when we sit around the table talking. Maybe it's simply about overcoming the kind of preferences and prejudices that would stop me sitting around a table with them at all. Two, maybe I've been hiding behind all things to all people as an excuse for not obeying, let your light shine before others. Three, maybe I should focus a bit more on having dinner with the neighbours more often and focus a bit less on trying not to look like the Flanders family when I do. Uh, And fourth, Maybe I should pay a bit more attention to loving my neighbours and a bit less attention to looking like them. Yeah, that, that striving to be different, that wrestling with those kind of questions, Nicole most definitely has the spirit working in her, you know, sanctifying her. Do you have the spirit? Jesus said that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again of the water and the spirit. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your spirit and his powerful work and yet his humility with all that power. We thank you for the way that he doesn't long for glory to be shown to him but rather would see it poured out on you and your son. And Father, may we be people who are shaped and reshaped by your spirit to keep pointing the glory back to you and not ourselves. Father, we particularly pray if, uh, for those of us, if there are any among us here tonight who aren't certain of having your spirit in their life, that you might give them uh, a great assurance and work in them powerfully that they might uh, know you 
that they might be able to point to the Lordship of Christ and that they might know their place in your kingdom. Father, we ask that uh, we might honour you in our lives in all that we do. For your son's sake. Amen.